0: Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to one of my favorite stories in the Bible, Daniel chapter 3. We're going to talk about the three Hebrew children and how the Lord used them to glorify himself and to remind us of the faith that we need in as we serve a mighty living Lord. I saw a bumper sticker the other day And it said that uh, you being a Christian, if you were on trial, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Good question. If you as being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I was thinking about another bumper sticker. If your faith was on trial, And you were given a test, what kind of grade would you receive? An A or an F? Heard about this uh, young man in in college, and uh, he had uh, taken this exam, and when he got his grade back, it was a zero. And uh, he went before the uh, professor and he said, I don't deserve a zero. He said, I know that. He said, but that's the Lord's grade I could give you. (laughs) I believe the Lord wants us to have a mighty faith in Him. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Oh, how encouraging it is when you go back into the Old Testament and you begin to see how the Lord demonstrated His power His presence and His almighty works in the lives of His people who demonstrated their faith. So, I've been a series of messages for about four or five weeks concerning that faith that we're talking about. Operation Victory, I've titled it. So, with your Bibles open, I want you to stand with me and we're going to look at a very interesting story. Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, and uh, we're going to look at the whole entire chapter, but I'm not going to read it all, but let's just read the first uh, 5 or 6, 7 verses. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits, and its width 6 cubits. Now keep that in mind, the letter, or the number six. He set it up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps and the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar set up. In other words, all the who's who. I mean, you stop and you think about it. If you were somebody, you were invited to come to this special, special occasion. An occasion that Nebuchadnezzar had not only declared, but he had also described it to be law for them to come. So the satraps and the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried out aloud, To you it is commanded... O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and psaltery, and symphony, and with all kinds of music you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whosoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And I'm sure old Neb thought, nobody's not going to uh, disobey my command. I mean, after all, what an incentive! Not only to be invited to this special occasion, but to know that if you did disobey me, you were going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And the Bible says, And whosoever does not fall and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, and the lyre, in in symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations and languages fell down, and they worshipped, the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Well, we're going to see in the remaining verses, all but three did that. There were three that said, we're not going to bow, we're not going to bend, and I don't think we're going to burn either. (laughs) Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, what a joy to be able to reflect back upon a story that was so real, And that it brings to us that encouragement of faith. Lord, we may be facing uh, individuals in this church today facing trials. And those trials is just as real as a fiery furnace. Help us, dear Lord, to stand tall and to stand firm upon our faith. Give us the victory that you have given to the lives of these Hebrew children. And Lord, we pray that our life would glorify you. So Lord, may the Spirit of God speak to our our hearts here today. And just remind us of how you're wanting to work in our life. And to mature us and grow us in our faith. May the power of the Holy Spirit be upon us. For your glory, for your honor, we bring forth the word of God. In Jesus we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. What I want to do today, I want to take this chapter and I just want to just dissect it and to be able to see how the Lord worked in the lives of these young Hebrew children. And I've broken it up into seven different categories. First of all, as we've already spoken about, I want you to notice in verse 1 of this devilish command. Now, notice what he says in verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits, and his width 6 cubits. And he set up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. Now, the Bible reminds us that this very event took place in the province of Babylon. Now, immediately when you hear the word Babylon, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that, this was more than just a city or an empire. Really what it means that the Bible represents Babylon as a kingdom of Satan. And so there we began to realize immediately that this particular province was the kingdom of Satan. Now, we're introduced in the Bible, are we not, in Genesis chapter 11 about that story about Babel. And of course, that where there was the beginning of Babylon. And there we began to realize that that was the very first attempt for there to be one world government and one world religion. Satan hasn't stopped, has he not? And he's going to succeed one day, as there will be a one world government and one world religion. The name Babel literally means the the gate of God. Now, when you hear that, you think, well, that is a way to God. Where in reality, it's it's a way to hell. And so, therefore, we began to realize that Babylon religion has taken upon itself three characteristics. It humanizes man... I mean, it humanizes God, excuse me, and it idolizes man, and it criticizes the Bible. And so, that's exactly what Satan wants to do in the life of the world today. But the Bible goes on, and it talks about an evil leader. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. Now, when you hear the name Nebuchadnezzar, immediately you begin to realize that in that particular day, he was nothing less than a prophetic view of the Antichrist. Think about this. The Bible says that he erected an image. And that image was 60 feet high, 6 feet wide. And they had 6 instruments around them, serenading them for to lead the people to bow and to worship. When you hear the number 666, what do you think of? Satan. Absolutely. And it's not by coincidence or happenstance that he uses those numbers erecting this particular image. I'm reminded in the Bible in the book of Revelation chapter 13. Listen to what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 13, verse 18. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. So we see a prophetic view of the Antichrist that is coming to, going to be coming to pass one day. And I believe that that is coming, and it's closer than it's ever been before. Jesus Christ is going to come back, the Bible says. He's going to rapture the church. And the Bible reminds us that the church will no longer be here, but this world will go on, and all of a sudden, one will come upon the scene and he will certainly try to take this world into a one-world government and a one-world religion and a one-world economy. And that's exactly what he will do. Nebuchadnezzar, the forerunner, the prophetic picture of old Satan himself, But the Bible says something that's very interesting. It says that this one, by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, in verses 2 through 6, that he passes an evil law. He not only declared it, but he demonstrated it as passing a law that was everybody would bow down to a golden image. You should have been there that day. My goodness, you can imagine, there was people coming from everywhere. Why? There was the good morning Babylon. And there they were interviewing all the governors, and they were interviewing all the magistrates, and all the senators, and all the people. And they were certainly demonstrating a type of air of festivity. CNN was there. You say, CNN? Absolutely, the Chaldean News Network. (laughs) And there they were, interviewing everybody. And can you imagine that day? The orchestra began to play. And as they were playing, all of a sudden, people began to fall to their knees. And they began to worship. This image. So, we see this devilish command. But let's go one step further and look with me in verses 8 through 12 of a daring courage. Everybody had bowed down to worship with the exception of three. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 8 and following. It says, Therefore, at the time certain, Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, in symphony And with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Listen to what verse 12 says. And there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, these men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set. Can you imagine? Thousands and thousands of people were bowing down and sticking out like a sore thumb Three Hebrew children, three Hebrews, three men of God, and they stand, and they stand erected and tall as they have ever been before. Why? If you were there that day, you probably could have said and rationalized, well, everybody's doing it. I mean, if you're in Babylon, do as the Babylonians. I mean, I can bow down outwardly, but inwardly I won't bow down. I mean, after all, a man's gotta live, and there's that fiery furnace. You talking about peer pressure personified. That must have been greatest peer pressure as you possibly could imagine. I think about the peer pressure that our young people have at schools today. Oh, my friend, every time you begin to think about wavering your faith, think about these three guys. Think about them and think about of how they stood strong. They had rather defy the law than to disobey the Lord. These individuals were great men of God, and they stood with courage, and they stood with boldness, and that courage was daring. I'm reminded of a story over in Europe that the hunters would hunt after this little white furry animal called the ermine. The ermine was kind of hard to trap. They would have holes there where they would bore and bury themselves in. And so the hunters became very wise that realizing the character of this little furry animal, the ermine, that they had this white fur that they would go and they would put all kinds of uh, uh, filth, Around the hole of their of the holes that these ermines would go in. And so what they would do is that when the they were out hunting these ermines, they would let the dogs loose. And they would chase these little furry white animals. And as those little animals would rush back to the hole for safety, they would see the filth, the dirt, the muck, and the mire. And they would not allow themselves to become dirty of that, uh, that dirt and mire. They had rather turn and allow their, their bodies to be sold with their own blood than to become dirty. I thought, my, my, we're needing people like that today. We're needing people that's willing to risk their life that will say, I had rather die than to give up my faith for the Lord Jesus Christ. So there you see that daring courage. But go a step further with me. Look with me in verse 13 and following. You see a devoted commitment. We talked about that. The Bible says in verse 13, that Nebuchadnezzar is in rage and fury Gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Can you get the picture? Everybody else is bowing. These three are standing. The soldiers go and they pick up these guys and they bring them before the king of the great province of Babylon. Standing face to face, eyeball. Nebuchadnezzar spoke and saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you're ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and psaltery in symphony, and with all kinds of music, You fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Oh, my. You talking about Nebuchadnezzar. I don't know which was hotter. The fury of Nebuchadnezzar or the furnace. He was angry that these guys had the gall to disobey the king. And I began to see the response. Look what the Bible says in verse 16 in this chapter. The Bible says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. They did not fear. They did not flinch. They did not fudge. They stood strong. They wouldn't bend. They wouldn't bow. They stood stern upon their convictions. Now, I want you to understand, they were not being stubborn to the king. They were giving allegiance to the king of kings. And there's a big difference, my friend. Christian obedience may mean disobedience to civil obedience. You understand what I'm talking about? They may come a day. They may come a day. That they will say, Pastor, if you're going to be pastor of this church, you're going to have to marry homosexuals. Now, who do I obey? Do I obey the civil law or do I obey God? I'm going to obey God. I'm going to obey God. I'm reminded of the story of Peter, James, and John as they were there preaching the gospel. And the Sanhedrins came to them and they said, you will no longer preach the gospel and you will no longer preach in the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm reminded of what Peter and John said. We ought to obey God rather than men. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. We ought to obey God rather than men. So, my friend, we may come to that point. Do you not see of how our world is getting closer and closer and closer of serving the gods of this world? Do you not see of how they are cringing upon the rights of the Christians today? Why? You'll be a Christian today. uh, If you want to get along with the world, you have to go along with the world, they say. But I think God is calling for brothers and sisters and boys and girls to stand for the cause of Christ greater today than ever before. It may cost you, my friend, but my friend, I want you to understand, God will stand with you. So we see that devoted commitment. Oh, what a commitment. What a commitment that these boys had. But go a step further with me, if you would, please. Look in verse 17. Look about this decided confidence. They were confident in their faith. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 17. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Amen on that. Our God that we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. My friend, I believe with all my heart as those soldiers had gathered up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and as they were being cast into that fire, they were singing, What a mighty God we serve! What a mighty God we serve! They had confidence faced with uh, that picture of facing death right before them. In other words, they're saying, my God is able. I'm reminded of what the Scripture teaches us in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able... To do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. You know what God's able to do? He's able to do far more than we could ever think about it. He's able to do far more than we could ever ask. He said, my God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or think. And my friend, you see the question here is not that God is, God cannot do something. The question is, will God do something? That's the question. Yeah, God could deliver them, but will God deliver them? Yes, God can take you out of the fiery furnace, but will he take you out of the fiery There might be a reason for you to be in that fiery furnace. So you began to not only see a decided confidence, but a determined conviction. Look what the Bible says in verse 18. In verse 18, the Bible says, and and look at this phrase, but if not, look at that, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. But if not, these young men knew that God could deliver them. But they said, but if God chooses not, we're still going to stand. We're still not going to bend. We're still not going to bow if God chooses not. I am so thankful that if God delivered them from the furnace, God would be with them. But they were reminded that if, if God did not, God would still be with them in the furnace. I'm reminded of what the Bible says as Job spoke chapter 13, verse 15. One of my favorite verses of Scripture where it says, even though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. Though He will slay me, yet will I trust Him. My friend, here, I believe is one of the greatest words of faith that has ever been announced. If, But if not, I'm still going to serve Him. You say, I have enough faith that God's going to heal me. But if not, God's going to take care of me. What a faith. God may choose to heal you, and God may choose not to heal you. Are you still going to serve Him? Are you still going to have faith in Him? Are you still going to believe Him? Are you still going to trust Him? Are you still going to allow Christ to be Lord of your life? See, that's what happens a lot of times with a lot of people today. They pray and pray and pray and that God would heal them, but God doesn't heal them. And they get angry with God and they turn Against God. But I like that faith. But if not faith. But if not. Greatest words of faith, I think, that it can be found. Faith is not getting from God what you want. Faith is accepting from God what He gives to you. That's what faith is. And that's exactly what these Hebrew children were saying. If God so choose, He can deliver us. I know that He's able. But if not, God's going to take care of us even if we are in that fiery furnace. Which brings to me, which a glorious passage of scripture of that divine companion. Look what the Bible says in verse 24. Boy, I'm telling you, God is a God of His Word. Look what the Bible says. In verse 24. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. See, what he did, he took those guys and he threw them into that furnace, which was seven times hotter than normal. And I can almost imagine Nebuchadnezzar, after he'd thrown them in, he stood there and he just began to gaze into that furnace, wanting to see these guys as a demonstration of His wrath that they were going to be burned. And the Bible says then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose and haste and spoke said to his counselor, I think what he probably did as he got up and he looked into that furnace and he rubbed his eyes and he thought, my goodness, I don't, there's one, there's two, there's three, there's four. Look what he says there in verse 24. Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king, look, he answered, I see four men. He thought he was going crazy walking in the midst of the fire. (laughs) Look at here. They're not hurt and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now, how in the world did he know what the Son of God looked like? Here, looking like the Son of God. My friend, this was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Preincarnated, there he is in that furnace. I can almost imagine when Jesus walked into that furnace, he looked around at the fire and the flames, and he said, cool it! (laughs) And then about that time, those Hebrew children I mean, after all, does he not have right to command his creation? Fire is a part of his creation. He is the omnipotent God. He is the omnipresent God. He is the omniscient God. He is the God that who is in control of all things, even a fiery furnace. And there you see him, do you not? The only thing that was burning was the bonds that was upon these men, the Bible says. Look what he says in verse uh, uh, 28. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent an angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's words and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own. Oh, my friend, look at verse 27. And they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. Their hair, their head was not singed, nor their garments affected, and the smell of the fire was not on them. Can you imagine what a sight this was? Now, let's just stop for a moment. Let's take a math lesson for a few moments. The Bible says that there were three that was thrown in. He counted that there were four. Then he took the three out, and there they are. Not a hair singed, not even the smell of the fire that was upon them. Where's the fourth man? He's still in the fire. In other words, he's telling me and telling you that you might be thrown into the fire. But he's already there. And he's already there. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, The refiner is never far from the mouth of the furnace when his gold is in the fire. My friend, a lot of people think that Jesus came into this world to get us out of trouble. Jesus came into this world to get in trouble with us and to take care of us in the midst of the fire. They tell us that Joseph Stalin, very cruel dictator, his cutthroat soldiers would go throughout the land and where there were Christian gatherings, that they would break up the gathering and shoot and kill those that were in that gathering. They came to this one little church, and there were a band of about 30. And before they got ready to line them up and to shoot them down with those machine guns, one of the soldiers says, I see that there are 30 here today. One of the parishioners spoke up and says, Oh, no. There's 31 of us here today, counting the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, the Bible says, "Where there's two or three gathered in my name. I'll be in their midst. And so, friend, whoa, what comfort to know that you have a divine companion, that he will never leave you or forsake you. Oh, how comforting it is to know that even if I do not go into the furnace, he's with me. But if I go into the furnace, he's going to be there in the furnace waiting for me. And to deliver me and to take care of me. Think about this for a moment. We think about, oh, how terrible it must have been thrown into the furnace. But can you imagine? These Hebrew children would have never experienced the protection of God had they not been thrown into the furnace. They would have never experienced the power of God had they not been thrown into the furnace. They would have never known the presence of Almighty God in such an intimate way had they not been thrown into a fiery furnace. Have you been thrown into a furnace lately? And if you've been thrown into a furnace, that furnace, oh, something that you don't want to go through. But it was something that God allowed in your life, and there in the presence of that fiery furnace, God manifested Himself to you. God delivered you from that horrible experience. Oh, the divine companion is beyond that we could ever ask or think of. But then closing, look with me in verse 28, a delightful conclusion of this verse. Look what he says in verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Boy, he has changed his his tone, has he not? All of a sudden, he's exalting Shadrach. Meshach and Abednego who sent his angel and delivered his servant who the king's words and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god my friend I want you to see something here that is so special. Not only did God get the victory over this, these guys got the victory, but God got the glory from the guy that who had announced that everybody should fall before that image. Here, oh Nebuchadnezzar is giving God glory. And praise. You see the doxology there in verse 28. Look at the decree that he gives in verse 29. He says in verse 29, Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language, and which speak anything amidst against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces. Can you imagine What a change. And he says, and their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. My friend, many, many times those that are who are enemies will respect those more that will stand for their faith, than our friends will have for us when we straddle the fence. Here, they could say what the psalmist of old said in Psalm 66, verse 10 and following. Listen to this. For you, O God, have tested us You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through waters, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. Oh, what a blessing. What a blessing. I believe with all my heart we're living in a world that it's harder and harder and harder and harder to be a Christian, to be a child of God. People don't care whether you serve God, but they have a strange attitude if you start talking to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed that? You can talk about God, but don't talk about Jesus. I believe that it's going to be harder in our schools. I believe it's going to be harder on our jobs. But we even know today, while we are limited in what we can say in our schoolroom, We are limited today of praying in our school. Lifting up the Bible and reading it. And talking about stories like this. You can't do that. Think about what's happened in the last 10 to 15 years. Can you imagine what's going to happen in the next 10 years? Elections that we have before us today is very critical. We need to be praying for God's wisdom. We need to be praying for God's direction. We need to be praying for God's will to be accomplished. Just as Brother Brian said the other day as he was preaching this past Monday, God is in control. No matter what the circumstances, he's in control. Did you not see him in control here? Oh, he was so much in control from the day that these boys decided to stand. I am reminded of what William Jennings Bryan said. He says, never be afraid to stand with the minority, which is right. For the minority which is right will one day will be the majority. Always be afraid to stand with the majority which is wrong. For the majority which is wrong will one day will be the minority. And I believe that. And I don't think no words could be any truer than those words today. Now let me ask you a question. Are you in the fire? Have you just come from the fire? Are you headed toward the fire? My friend, here is a perfect example how to behave, how to act, and how to respond. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your precious word and for the way that you've spoken to our hearts here today. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that You, Your Holy Spirit, would demonstrate a mighty work in the life of this congregation this morning. Lord, it is so easy in the day that we live to compromise. But You're looking for men and women, boys and girls to stand when others are bowing. Help us, dear Lord, to be strong in the Lord. Lord, I know it's not popular to be a Christian today. And Satan uses that very thing in hindering and keeping people from trusting You as their Lord and as their Savior. But Lord, remind them, That one day they're going to die. And they're going to have to give an account for their life. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And that there needs to come a time and a place where they respond to the calling of God upon their life. I pray that today there'll be individuals that will step out from their pews into the aisle and come forward and say, Pastor, I want to respond by faith, trusting Christ that He might be my deliverer. There's Christians here today need to respond by allowing their courage to be fed with the Word of God, to be strong and bold, and that they stand when it's not popular. Oh, dear God, move among us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. am going to invite you to stand. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. God has spoken to your heart. We want to welcome you, invite you to come and give your life to the Lord. Or to come and to pray and to say, God, help me to be strong. They're on the job. Help me to be faithful there at school. Help me to be faithful there in the community. Help me to stand strong in the midst of the fiery furnace.